I like the core of many religions, you know, but I sometimes it was like you were given rules to live by, but it didn't really kind of go from the inside out. I think with the yoga practice, that with the sense of mindfulness, the sense of like doing a sadhana, doing a practice, you're connecting inwardly. And then with that connection, you want to be better. You want to do better. That was Laruga Glazer, and I'm Henry Winslow. You're listening to Dharma Talk. Dharma Talkers, you're here. I'm here. We're here. Well, we're always here, aren't we? Because where else could we possibly be but here and now? At this present moment, here and now happens to be your latest episode of Dharma Talk. And I've got a beautiful interview to share with you in just a few. But first, have you tried the Henry Yoga app yet? If not, what are you waiting for? I've got a 40-day program of 40-minute Hatha Vinyasa classes and asana workshops waiting for you. iPhone users in the U.S., just head over to the App Store and download it. Android and international folks, I got you. The whole program is available on the web app at henryyoga.com. And guess what? You can try it out at no cost. Get the first two classes free at henryyoga.com or on the Apple App Store. All right, raise your hand if you've ever been let down by conventional religion. This isn't so much a public condemnation of the world's religious systems, so much as an observation that many, many yogis come to the practice as an alternative path towards spirituality. Perhaps one that feels more personal, more corporeal, more felt. We want to understand ourselves and our place within the greater context of the universe, of God, of the oneness of being. And while there are infinite paths to source, this one appeals to us more than some others. My guest this week, Laruga Glazer, opens up in our conversation about her attraction to yoga when she needed a new system of faith to turn to. She had been left disheartened with religion when loved ones close to her had talked the talk but failed to walk the walk. And seeing that hypocrisy challenged her to look at how the various spiritual practices that she'd been exposed to, both at personal and academic levels, really worked. Ultimately, it was yoga's course from the inside out that drew her in. All that and more is coming right up Let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. This episode is brought to you in part by Yoga East Austin. This March, I'm super excited to partake in a second round of rocket yoga training at Yoga East Austin with the worldly rocket yogi himself, David Kyle. It's a five-day RYT 50-hour practice intensive with the rocket yoga pioneer and someone I consider a friend and a teacher. Last year's 50-hour intensive was epic, bringing together over 50 yogis from all over the world to learn about the rocket yoga vinyasa system from David himself. David and I immediately connected. Since then, he's been a Dharma Talk guest. Check out episode 61. And I have visited Puerto Rico to practice with him and teach workshops at his school, Ashtanga Yoga Puerto Rico. 
David is a student of the late Rocket Yoga founder, Larry Schultz, who studied Ashtanga extensively in Mysore in the 60s and 70s. If you're curious about Ashtanga or enjoy getting upside down, this training makes a great introduction, especially since the Rocket style tends to be a bit more loose and playful than traditional Ashtanga. In Rocket, you get to try postures from the second and third series and experiment with fun, accessible, and creative sequencing. I thoroughly enjoyed this experience last year, and I'm pumped to dive in for another 50 hours in my old stomping grounds, Yoga East Austin, this spring from March 23rd to 27th. Be sure to act now. This intensive is about 70% full and will sell out. For more info, go to yogaeastaustin.com slash events. This episode is brought to you in part by Warrior Bridge NYC. Warrior Bridge is an interdisciplinary movement studio in downtown Manhattan, offering classes in yoga, acro yoga, handstands, and flexibility training. Their classes are skillfully designed, featuring anatomy-informed warm-ups and progressions, drawing from and blending different yoga and movement modalities. While the offerings are diverse, what's constant is an emphasis on practicing in a way that honors where you're coming from and where you're trying to go. Warrior Bridge offers a full schedule of weekly classes, weekend workshops with visiting instructors, and teacher training programs, the next wave of which will be held this summer in NYC. First up, anatomy and movement teacher training from July 15th to 25th, led by Sean Langhouse and Emily Lazinski. Sean was a past guest on Dharma Talk, of course. This training is designed for both practicing and aspiring teachers who want to better understand anatomy and how the body works, as well as Warrior Bridge's unique training methodology around yoga, handstand, flexibility training, prehab, and injury prevention. And the next training will be their Acro Warrior Teacher Training from July 27th to August 6th. This is New York City's only Acro Yoga Teacher Training and is all about immersing yourself in the Acro practice and acquiring the skills to safely and intelligently lead Acro Yoga classes and practice. Learn more and register at warriorbridge.com. Now back to the show. Laruga Glazer at Laruga Yoga on Instagram, is a level two authorized teacher from K. Patabi Joyce Ashtanga Yoga Institute of Mysore, India, with over 20 years of personal experience practicing Ashtanga yoga. Fascinated by the mind-body connection and spiritual philosophy from a young age, Laruga is dedicated to cultivating transparency to this tradition and the deeply rich lineage from which the practice originates. Through it all, Laruga teaches as an act of sharing and love for what yoga develops in each individual, facilitating space to open, challenge, and inspire students to step into the center of their own being and experience their inherent potential. Laruga currently heads the Mysore program at Yoga Yama in Stockholm, Sweden, and teaches workshops and retreats internationally. If you like what Laruga has to say and you want to go deeper into her world, then head over to dharmatalk.show and type Laruga in the search bar. That's L-A-R-U-G-A. And there you'll find all the notes from this episode, highlights with timestamps, and of course the links. And if you're looking for something to read, why not take up Laruga's recommendation? 
She is one of many past guests on Dharma Talk to recommend this particular book. And if you'd like to know what that is, go to henrywins.com slash books. There you can see the full list of every book ever recommended on Dharma Talk. So it makes a great reading list for the curious yogi. Go there and pick out your next read. Now, without further ado, please enjoy my interview with Laruga Glazer. Hello, Laruga. I'm so happy to have you on Dharma Talk. I know that we started talking about doing this a long time ago, and we've both been traveling quite a lot. And as it turns out, we're both in Europe right now. So happy our schedules could align. How are you doing today? Oh, I'm doing really good, um, considering that it's a bit cold and dark in Stockholm, but doing good. That's your home base now, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I've lived here for 10 years now. Okay. Yeah. So you're used to the cold and dark. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I don't know if you ever get used to it if you're not native, but uh, I mean, it comes with the territory, so I know it's always coming. Mm -hmm. Right. Right. Well, let's dive into our conversation about Dharma today. I always open with the same first question for all my guests. That question is, what does the word Dharma mean to you? And what is your Dharma as you understand it today? Um, You know, I I mean, I guess when you look at the definition of Dharma, it can, I guess it depends on who you ask and how they look at it. But, um, you know, it's kind of deemed as a sense of of duty or, or righteousness and, um And, or, you know, a sense of following the right path or, you know, taking responsibility. Um, And I I feel like a lot of that coincides with, you know, long-term practice of yoga. And um, for me, I guess where I am now when it comes to Dharma is to just continue to like do the best I can on the path that I've chosen to take, or even the path that feels like it's kind of called to me um, because when I was younger, the thought of teaching yoga didn't even enter my mind. I kind of had other ideas of the path that I was going to take and um, just to keep uh, exploring and to, um, you know, to do the best you can with what you have um, in the moment and um, to stay authentic and um, and also to take responsibility for the roles that you do play, um, the uh, the roles that we we are um, you know um, doing. I guess I don't know. Like this is a, such a deep topic for me. I, I think I'm a little bit out of my um, my realm here <laughs> with this question. It's it's a it's something that you have to contemplate continuously. Definitely. And, you know, that's, that's why I started this podcast. You know, I don't expect anyone to have one definitive, absolute answer. It is an ongoing conversation that I have with myself and, um, it's helpful for me. And I think the listeners who gravitate to the show to hear other people reflect on it as messy as the answer may be. Um, and, you know, to reckon with this idea of, what do we choose in our path and what are we called to do and yet still take responsibility for it? That is a, that's an interesting point that I think we can go deeper into. What did you mean when you said, cause I, I heard you kind of like change your mind almost as you 
answered that question about saying you, that you chose this path. What was it that you thought that you would do before going down deeper into the rabbit hole of teaching yoga? Well, I was really on this. Well, it was interesting. Like when I was younger, I thought I was actually going to be it's a fashion designer, which is kind of funny, um, which I still in some aspects am drawn to to the creative aspect of fashion. It's just something I don't know. It's just always kind of been in my blood at a young age, which for some people, it might seem superficial, but there's there's I don't know. There's just things that you're drawn to for whatever reason. And I was going down that path. Um, I was in that industry. Um, but at the same time, when I was, um, I was also discovering yoga at a young age too. And it's just interesting how you, you're going down a path, but this other aspect just starts to, to um, be more significant in your life. And it tends to you know, move front and center. And it kind of took me by surprise, it, but it just, it just grew and grew as, as each year passed. Yeah. Yeah. That definitely resonates with me. I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, and yeah, I mean, do you find that there are, I see now, you know, you've, you've gone more fully into yoga, but when, when it was still something where you were you know, bouncing between the two or finding places of overlap between fashion and yoga. And perhaps that continues until now. What, what were those? Like, where were the synchronicities between the two different things that were calling your attention? Well, well, it's interesting. I mean, I think I was a bit sensitive when I started, you know, <laughs> like maybe overly sensitive because when I was in the industry of fashion, it just was so cutthroat and people were just not very nice do you know? Like it was so mm -hmm. interesting, but I think too, I didn't have a thick enough skin. So I'm not saying that, that, um, that people that are, you know, in that, that industry are not, are not good people, but it's just very cutthroat and people can be quite like harsh. And I just don't think at the time I was quite ready for that. Um, now I think I, I might be, it might be different for me because I feel like I've grown a little bit more of a thicker skin or, a like I have bigger, like I have more boundaries, you know, when it comes to just respecting myself and how to communicate with people and navigate those types of conversations. But, um, at the time it was a bit tough for me. And that's why I started to, I, I started to go into other, um, realms of just other types of work. It wasn't necessarily yoga, but I was slowly getting out of, of fashion and going into other areas. But, um, uh, the, the practice of yoga in a way just kept me sane in, in the work that I was doing. And it gave me a greater perspective and slowly, slowly, as I was deeper into the practice, I was building a, you know, a greater foundation to stand upon, you know, um, in, you know, some stressful climates, I guess I should say. Sure. Yeah. Like the, the power of yoga to develop your resilience is pretty undeniable for anyone who's practiced for a significant period of time yeah. to what, do, to what do you attribute the, um, the thickening of your skin, like the, the ability for you to, that you, you say that if now you were to go back to the fashion industry, you'd be able to withstand that probably a little bit better than you were in at that time of your life. Is that also yoga and, yeah. or, or something else? Yeah. And I guess, you know, I guess sometimes 
thickening of skin can seem like the wrong wording. Like it's not necessarily that I'm putting up like a shield, you know, like where I'm just trying to, you know, block people out, but it's just more being able to stand strongly within myself. I feel like yoga has really helped me with that over the years. And, you know, negativity will always come your way, whether you choose to or not, you know, like sometimes it's out of your control. And I feel like this practice has really helped me to stand firm within myself and just be able to ride the storm. And I think many people can attribute to, you know, the great benefits of yoga, you know, of experiencing that over time. Right. So I know that your practice of choice is Ashtanga yoga in, in the style of K. Patabi Joyce. Um, yeah. what, what was your background? Were you always drawn to Ashtanga yoga or was there a bit of a journey to, to get there? Um, yeah, what's interesting is I, I, I kind of, in my adolescent years, I was really into discovering just philosophy and I was into like, studying different types of religions. And through that discovery, I did find uh, yoga philosophy and, and it really struck me, you know, that my first gateway into yoga was really through the philosophy first. And I remember even just finding the Ashtanga yoga, the eight limbs, you know, that come from the yoga sutras, um, discovering that first before like the Ashtanga yoga, you know, asana practice and just finding it really interesting how there were these different steps there was like these um, various principles to work through. And um, even though at the time I was a bit naive, I was kind of drawn to the experiential aspect um, of what, you know, yoga was, was te- or what, you know, the books that I was reading was teaching that you had to do it to really obtain the wisdom. And I think that's what furthered my enthusiasm to go deeper into the the practice of yoga later on. And I, you know, through just kind of, you know, I was, I was doing other things at the time, but then I was also kind of dipping into, you know, yoga or philosophy or like different types of religious studies. Um, And, uh, you know, a few years later, I also had some issues with my back and I also knew, oh, well, yoga also has these postures. And I had this understanding that it was very healing. And that's how I started to delve into just the actual physical practice. And um, when I started, I started with more like a softer form, like a little bit more a yingar based type of yoga. I mean, I remember I just had some videos of like Rodney Yee and Patricia Walden, you know, like, um, and I was, and it was so interesting because at the time, even though I was seeing doctors and trainers, cause I was having issues with my, with my back, um, just doing these soft forms of yoga postures seemed to be the only thing that was helping me. Uh, which really kind of lit a light bulb inside of me. And I was like, whoa, I'm going to like, I'm going to do more research on this yoga because this is, this is healing me. This is helping me. Um, And that's kind of how it's all started from there. Like first the discovery of the philosophy, understanding that it's very healing for the body as well. And then it just kind of snowballed and continued on from, from Mm -hmm. there. 
when you were studying all of the different philosophies and you were engrossed in reading the texts and the, the religious scriptures and you came across yoga, it must have been a relief to see something that emphasized experiential learning and, and just simply doing the work rather than trying to wrap your head around concepts all the time. Is that true? Yeah, because I was actually a little bit dissatisfied with religion as I kind of just, I like the core of like, you know, many religions, you know, but I, sometimes I was a little bit dissatisfied with kind of some of the rules that were in place where it, it didn't, it was like you were given rules to live by, but it didn't really kind of go from the inside out, if that makes any sense. And I think with, with the yoga practice that with the sense of mindfulness, the sense of like, um, doing a sadhana, doing a practice, it's like you're connecting inwardly. And then with that connection, you, you want to be better. You want to do better, which I found to be really interesting when I did finally do the practice. And, um, and I think too, that was kind of a revelation how, doing like even just some simple poses just calmed me down, calmed the mind down. It made me feel good in my own skin. I felt more settled. Just these really tangible um, experiences um, were really groundbreaking for me. It's like, and I, you know, I was a pretty good kid in many ways. Like I wanted to do good and I, and I, and I actually was exploring. The reason why I was exploring is because there were things happening around me where I just felt like there has to be another way. You know, like I experienced my own kind of hardships as a child and I just kind of was feeling like, you know, some, I needed something mm -hmm. to turn to. And, and, you know, it could either be negative, you could turn to something negative or you could turn to something positive. And for whatever reason, I mean, I'm not trying to make myself special or anything. I was kind of going more to that positive end, you know, like looking for mm -hmm. something deeper, you know, to give deeper meaning and context to my life instead of like turning it into something more negative. Like, yeah, I could have, you know, turned to drugs or other, other means or, or whatever. And sometimes that's the appropriate path for some, you know, but, um, I was motivated to, you know, turn to something with greater meaning, you know, and, um, and like you were saying that that experiential aspect of yoga just really struck me, you know, for whatever reason. And who knows, it could have been something else, you know, like, but it just, it was, it was like something that I'd mm. been looking for, do you know, it kind of like answered the call. Yeah. Growing up, were you exposed to other religions that had sort of failed you in, in one way or just didn't address what you, what you needed at that point in your life? Well, you know, then it kind of goes into something quite personal because I think I had the example of, you know, of living, like, you know, living a certain religious life, but then seeing through some people, like seeing through in my family, like not always like it, it being represented through talk, but not always through action. Right. Right. And I had, I had issue with that. <laughs> You know, I had issue with that. Yeah, I, I think I am putting the pieces together on what you mean by religions establishing rules, but not not um, 
embedding them in the practitioners from the inside out. It's one thing for us to be able to recite off the scriptures or, you know, even something like the 10 commandments, for example, which is not a condemnation of Christianity or or Judeo-Christian beliefs. But if you compare that to, let's say the yamas and niyamas in, in yoga philosophy, well, it's not just that yoga tells us you have to do these things. It gives us a practice. And when we do them, in my experience, you naturally feel more connected to a code of conduct that you want to live by. And then you have a more felt rationale for doing it rather than just, this is the way it's supposed to be. Yeah. And I think too, like with the yamas and yamas, they're they're not coming necessarily from a condemning place. Do you know, it's, they are practices as well. And, um, and we may fail at times, but it, it's there to kind of keep us back on track and, um, you know, and let, and allows us to let go of distractions, you know, and to be able to go deeper into, you know, for instance, to do just to, to have the, the asana practice or to do the daily practice. I mean, it, it doesn't go in as deep unless we have the foundation or the context of the yamas and yamas which I find to be really interesting. Um, So, you know, all of these things really resonated with me, you know, when I was first starting and they still resonate with me now and and I'm still exploring and learning um, kind of what they mean, you know, in my life. So So what is one really difficult challenge that you've, whether it was that one that initially put you on the path toward exploring and finding yoga or something later in life, what is one real major life challenge that you've been able to tackle with more resilience and strength because of the, the help and support of yoga? Oh God. (laughs) I mean, I could even say just, you know, moving to Sweden, yeah, you know, has given me quite a bit of challenges. Um, um, I've had many challenges living here um, and trying to, if anything, I think one reason why my practice started to deepen so much is, is, has, is due to like moving here actually, because, you know, Sweden's a beautiful country and has really amazing people, but it's really hard to connect with others here. I have to say, um, it's just a different culture, you know, like Americans are curious, like strangers will talk to you on the street and they'll, um, you know, like, it's always funny when I go back, I'm always like, why are people talking to me? Like, I didn't say anything, you know, like, (laughs) so like, it's an adjustment, like, but you know, I grew up with that, but you know, here it can be, it's so different, you know, like it's very difficult to make friends. It's really, very challenging to make, you know, authentic connections here, um, as a foreigner and just the culture is very different. So, um, you know, and even with certain things with working here, I've, I've really had to, to like adjust and, you know, work through these challenges of like sometimes feeling a bit alienated or feeling, um, not included or things of that sort. And, you know, just, but just keep, keep walking forward. And what was the impetus for moving to Sweden in the first place? Well, I met my, you know, I met my boyfriend in India mm-hmm. um, and uh, yeah, we met and then 
then we were, we were considering, you know, like we were kind of like, oh, we want this relationship to continue. And so it was easier for me to move here than for him to move to the U.S. And so, um, yeah, I made, I made the leap and I moved here and, you know, I don't have any regrets, but it definitely had its challenges in certain moments of being here. Sure. Um, yeah. So it's an interesting country. It's a very interesting country, but a great quality of life. And, and, um, you know, it's, I think any place that you go to, it's, it's always going to have its positives and it's going to have a few negatives. So, Mm -hmm. yeah. And it's, it's up to us. It's up to, uh, it's up to us as seekers and, and practitioners to to look for lessons in those challenges, right? And I think if you are going to Sweden and you're finding that it's difficult to connect with others, then maybe, I, I mean, I'm just, maybe I'm projecting at this point, but maybe it's an opportunity for you to see like, oh, well, I came here to connect with my my partner. So it causes me to double down on, on that connection. Who knows? Yeah. Yeah, it's, you know, it is, it's a, such an interesting place because I was so excited like to move here in the beginning, but it was so funny because I remember a few people like that were um, friends of my boyfriend. They told me like in the beginning, I was like, ah, you know, I'm good, you know, but they're like, they kind of looked at me were like, it's going to be challenging. You know, <laughs> it's like, they kind of like warned me. Like, and I'm just like, ah, oh, no, you know, it's fine. I'm going to be good, you know, and in many ways I have been, but there are, you know, um, like, you know, certain things that I've kind of, I kind of like also kind of came to the point where it is, it is different for me culturally and I'm still going to keep the essence of who I am and where I come from. Do you know, like, I'm not going to just like let that totally die, you know? And, and that's the interesting part. And, um, you know, and I think in many ways it is appreciated, like, you know, by the right people and, and things like that. But, um, so I've kind of also learned that, yeah, like I, I will smile at people and I will say hello, even though it's not customary here. And maybe not reciprocated. (laughs) Right. Exactly. And if people think I'm weird, that's fine. You know, like no big deal. Um, so it's, it's, um, yeah, it's just an interesting place. And I don't want to paint like a bad picture because I feel like Swedish people are actually really good people, you know, it's just, they're not as extroverted. And so it's, it's just, it's a different vibe, you know, and it, it comes with, you know, different energies and you just have to kind of learn to adapt. Yeah. Yeah. So you've been living there for 10 years now. Um, you've obviously had the time to kind of acclimate and, and get adjusted. What tools or techniques would you recommend to someone else who maybe is in a new location or just feeling, you know, alienated in some other respect, even if it's just psychologically in their current environment to feel more grounded in themselves? Well, I mean, Staying conscious is really important. And I think, I I think if I didn't have this practice, it would have been doubly as as challenging, you know, like having a a daily practice also, you know, a meditation practice just to continue to stay mindful and to stay inwardly connected and fulfilled. And, um, I just find 
That's so important. And if someone isn't into, you know, doing a yoga practice, I would really recommend like journaling as well. Like just having that time to reflect and to contemplate, you know, things that are happening and, and, um, you know, to sustain that relationship with yourself and just to, to keep inwardly connected, I think is really important. Um, and, um, you know, it's, I've done a lot of travel too. And it's, I feel like with travel and also living in a new country, you start to experience new sides of yourself that you didn't realize were there either. And, um, I find that to be also really interesting. And so just staying mindful and connected and open to that, I think is also really important. Cool. Um, I want to take two different directions from your answer, but I'll start with the first one, uh, for a daily practice, you know, everybody's kind of got their own and I know that you are pretty traditional with your Ashtanga practice, but what does your daily practice look like at this point? Yeah. So, you know, I, I just, I, I follow, you know, what my teacher has given me is the best that I can. And, um, sometimes it has to be adjusted when I do quite a bit of travel. Um, but you know, right now I, I practice in the mornings, um, pretty early in the morning and I, um, you know, the practice when it comes to the asana practice, it might change and adjust a little bit through the week. Um, but you know, I'm roughly practicing about two hours, maybe a little bit more. Um, but before I do my yoga practice, I, I always like to to do a meditation. Um, and I think now at this point in my life, like meditation has been more and more important to do at least 20 minutes, but I also like to fit in two sessions of 20 minutes a day, mm-hmm. um, along with my my actual yoga practice. And what sort of meditation are you practicing? You know, it's kind of funny because I call it it's my own meditation. I call it my goalless meditation. Uh-huh. Like I have no goal. I have no, I just want to sit and be present. Cool. And goalless, L-E-S-S. You know, goalless, yeah, the goalless meditation. Um, you know, I, I usually start with a little bit of a silent prayer And, um, I just sit with whatever comes up in the moment. And what I feel that I'm doing is just strengthening the observe, the observing mind, you know, just strengthening that part of myself, just observing, observing what comes up, um, allowing whatever comes up to come up and come through and just sitting with that. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's a nice break to put your mind in in that kind of role. I, I would guess knowing you and from what I see from the outside, you're an accomplished teacher, successful, that you're probably a pretty goal-driven person otherwise. So we, you know, you need that, you need that break from that kind of mindset because it's not sustainable if there's, if there's no, um, no letting up. Yeah. I mean, it's just, I think it's important to just yeah, just to sit and just to be, you know, and, and I think, you know, with the meditation, it's just so interesting how much it gives to you, you know, because for some people, it might look like I'm doing nothing, you know, <laughs> and it's like, and, you know, and also it's, it's not like I'm having these huge, profound experiences. I'm just, it just feels so nurturing, 
just to sit and just to be, and to be okay with that, you know? And, um, and like I was mentioning before, the sense of strengthening that observing mind, I, I feel like it's giving me better eyes to see, you know, I'm, I'm seeing more, I'm sensing more. It's like, you're kind of building that up inside of yourself. Um, um, which I find really interesting. And so I'm kind of like, you know, who knows where it's taking me? I don't know because, you know, I'm trying not to have a goal here. <laughs> so. Yeah. Yeah. When you say that it's strengthening your observing mind and, and giving you better eyes to see, do you mean they're in those 20 minutes of meditation or something that carries through in your conscious interactions with the external world as well? Yeah. I feel like going outside of that. Yeah. Definitely within the 20 minutes, but it, it strengthens like the eyes that I see and the things that I sense, you know, in my external environment, mm -hmm. um, which I find to be really interesting. Um, I guess some people could say it's also like a strengthening of the intuition in a sense too, where you get certain impulses um, that just, it's not happening through the thinking mind. You know, there's certain impulses, certain information that just tends to come through. Um, and I find that to be really, really interesting. And in one way, you, you can't really control when those impulses come, though. But it just seems like the frequency um, of kind of understanding what they are when they do come and maybe trusting it more, you know, um, is is something that's been helpful with the meditation. Yeah. 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 You can't pull these impulses out of your subconscious mind, but maybe we can do practices that, um, set up the appropriate conditions for them to surface and be more heard be, and we can be more receptive to them. Yes, exactly. Yes. The other thing that I wanted to ask you about from a little while ago was you mentioned that traveling tends to give you experiences of new sides of yourself. What did you mean by that? And maybe what is one example of a time that you traveled somewhere and learned something about not that place, but yourself? Yeah. Just like, it's so, it's so interesting because I just, you know, traveling can get really tiring, but there's always a part of me that just, I just love it. You know, like I've been home now, like it's been strange. I've been here for like two and a half weeks and it's kind of like, it's been so nice to be in one place, but then, um, tomorrow I do travel and I can just feel like something in my heart, just like, yeah, like I'm exploring a new place, you know? And I, um, I, I really enjoy being in other environments and, and just like feeling the energy and the vibe and, um, if I give an example, like, you know, like the last few years, I've spent quite a bit of time in China and the thing that I, like, I appreciate about some of my times in China is like that kind of that collective mentality that they have there. And, and, you know, one thing that I really appreciate about in China that I feel like I just have missed is like, they're, they love to like eat together and there's like so much like centered around food and eating together and sharing food and like enjoying it. And like, it's like, you know, sometimes I, I've kind of noticed how I've kind of started living a life where like eating was kind of a, like a means to an end, like, a, like, let me just like 
let me just take this food down because I'm hungry. And like, you know, I know, I know it's good for me, but like, there's like, there's an, there's this enjoyment around food that I kind of felt like, wow, like I I've been missing this, you know, I haven't Mm, like, I've gotten away from this, you know, for, and I just, when I go to China, it's just like, people just love their food and they love to share the food from their, from, from, the certain region that they're from, because of course, like it's a pretty big country and I've been in different regions and they're always like, Oh, you must try this and you must try that. And, and like, you know, do you do it or do you have a restrictive diet that makes you not able to? Oh, I try, like, there's a few things that I was like, no, no, no. (laughs) (laughs) Like they are in one place, they offered me like duck head and I was like, no, 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 no. I can't, I can't, I don't think it's like actually fried and you can kind of, and I was just like, no, 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 I don't think I can do that one. Yeah. But you know, like just respectfully like declining, but I try to be, I try to be flexible, you know, and try things and, you know, and, um, you know, uh, be open-minded and, you know, it's like, if it's being offered to you, it's like, you kind of have to just, I don't know. It's, it's like an offering of, of their culture, you know, and it comes from a good place. Right. Right. Yeah. And, and this idea of like being immersed in a different culture and seeing their values very forefront and center reminds Mm -hmm. you that, you know, maybe actually I'm disconnected from that value, but it's there. And actually I care about that too. So yeah, that is a great way to learn about yourself. And I hadn't thought about it that way. I, I experience the same things when I go to different places. And of course, certain destinations kind of like feel more, um, nurturing or more like home to you based on what you're connected to. But I think every single place has something that you can take away from and share in. Oh yeah. Most, yeah. Most definitely. And, you know, one question I get a lot is people always ask me, like, what is your favorite place? And, but really, I just don't have one, you know, like there's been some places I've been to more than others and, you know, have repeated going to, but um, I don't know. I just always appreciate the contrast, you know, I just always appreciate like, you know, something new that's offered and it's really hard for me to even pick a favorite place. Where are you going next? Where are you going tomorrow? I'm actually going to Nigeria. Oh, have you ever been before? No, it's my first time. Wow. Have you, have you been to Africa? Yes. Yes, I have. I've been to Egypt. I've been to South Africa, but I haven't been, you know, there's, you know, it's a huge continent. So there's so much for me to explore there. Definitely. And you know, I, I can see that you've placed a lot of importance in travel and exposure to different parts of the world. Do you ever feel like it's exhausting or like it's not something that you could sustain or is this something that you plan on doing for a long time? Well, yeah, it is, it is pretty tiring. And, but I think, you know, just the passion behind teaching and sharing this practice is what just keeps driving me forward once I'm at a place, it's like, I, I just, I feel compelled to share the practice and the energy just comes, but getting from point A to point B, I think that's the most exhausting part because a lot of annoying things can happen during travel. (laughs) And, you know, I feel like there's so many opportunities to, to practice when you travel because your patience is being tested consistently. 
So, you know, like it's, it's such an interesting thing, you know, like just checking in and queuing all the time, you know, a lot of things can happen and you have to really just kind of keep your cool. Um, if I could just be beamed up to places, that would be great. But unfortunately, it doesn't work that way. So um, you don't have that city yet? Because I, <laughs> no, I definitely don't. I definitely do not. I wish I did. Um, no, it's so but, true. I mean, going to the airport yeah. is like, that's the hardest place to practice yoga. It's a concentrated yeah. like sardine can full of people who are super stressed out and and rushing plus there's like a lack of sleep everybody's time traveling so there's like everybody's jet lagged it's tough um i i I know that challenge all too well uh but just like anything else you know it can become part of our practice yeah yeah i mean i i find that to be kind of the most challenging part. And I mean, the, the good outweighs the bad, you know, and that's why I keep doing it. And, you know, and some travel experiences just flow really beautifully, but, um, but, you know, most of the time there's always a little something, you know, you have to deal with and just kind of test your patience, you know, just breathe through it. So, um, but I, you know, I do actually, you know, in some instances do enjoy travel, you Mm -hmm. know, at the same time. Um, and I've kind of found a rhythm with it as well and just kind of know that, okay, just, you just have to expect the unexpected and that just kind of comes with the territory. I mean, my biggest tip or biggest like tool that I use that I employ and times like that is just like, try to remember that, wow, this is actually like a huge blessing and kind of miracle that we're able to like get in a plane and fly across the world and be there in, you know, under 24 hours in many cases from one extreme to another. And like, that's insane. Like, how cool is that? Do you have any other tips that you recommend for people who travel a lot? Yeah. I mean, I have, I kind of have my, my things, you know, like I just, I try to pack things that just wherever I'm going, that will make me like feel at home, you know, like just I always pack like really comfy pajamas so I can like put those on like wherever I'm going, like when I get ready for bed, so I can just feel at home and feel cozy. Um, whether that's like, you know, bringing good books to read, um, just little things to like also use to just kind of pamper myself. Like when I'm there, just so I can feel relaxed and just comfortable and, um, you know, and I usually don't have a problem. Like I can like sleep almost anywhere, you know, but I, I do bring these things that just bring me a little bit of comfort, you know, just so I can, the space that I'm sleeping at, I, I can feel at home as quickly as possible. Yeah. Bring a little bit of home with you. It, carry over some of the routine. Yes. Yeah, most definitely. Right on. Okay. So what's, what's coming up, uh, for you? Do you have, uh, travel arrangements or retreats or trainings that, people might be able to join you for? Um, yeah. So when it comes to, to what I'm doing next is, um, tomorrow I go to Nigeria then I, I come back home to Stockholm and then I will be heading to South America. So, uh, next week, yeah, midweek, I will be leaving for Buenos Aires. So I'll be doing a week there and then I will be going to Brazil Um, and then I will be coming back home 
and for a few, about a week, and then I will be teaching in Mumbai and then doing my annual re- retreat in Goa, which will be at the Purple, ba- Purple Valley Retreat Center. Um, and I've been doing retreats there for, oh, I think roughly five, last five years, I think. Um, and that will be in the first two weeks of March. Um, in 2021, I will be doing one month at Purple Valley. So I'll do like a one month intensive there. Um, so that's what I have coming up like in the next few months uh, when it comes to both workshops and retreats. Very cool. What, what can people expect in Goa for this year or, or next year? So I really, I really enjoy teaching the Purple Valley retreat because it's a bit of a longer retreat and um how I set up the retreat is, of course, we do morning Mysore practice um, uh, first thing in the morning, um, and then we have uh, afternoon workshops as well. And what I do at this retreat is I will teach, I actually teach double at this retreat because I've acknowledged that some people are newer to the practice, they're more at the beginning stages of practice. So I do a course of workshops for people that are practicing within primary series. And then I will do a, another workshop after that for more experienced practitioners that, you know, need to work more on technique. They're working beyond primary, whether that's intermediate series or advanced. So it's, a it, it demands a lot of work, but I really feel that it's important to, to give the participants and the retreat guests, um, you know, an experience that, gives them the tools that they need for where they are in the practice. So um, not every teacher does this, but um, I just find it really important because it's so important for me that students get the proper tools that they need when they leave the retreat, that they feel like they have skills that they can really implement in their practice and to start, you know, working with. Very good. That sounds like a great retreat for pretty much all levels, would you say? Oh yeah, for sure. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Okay. That sounds, this seems like a good place to kind of wrap things up. We're going to move on to the final section of the interview and I call this the prana round. All right, Luruga, I'm going to ask you Ooh. six rapid fire questions. So please answer in minimum one word, maximum one sentence. All right. Okay. <laughs> okay. Question. Sounds good. Question number one <laughs> in one word. Why do you practice yoga? Why do I practice yoga? Oh my God. That's such a hard one. Wow. (laughs) Um, I practice, I practice yoga to know who I am at the, at the most essential level. What is your favorite yoga pose and why? Oh my God. Are you serious? You have to pick one. These are hard. These are such hard. It's easier if you just answer the first thing that comes to your head. My favorite yoga pose. Okay. Maybe Ekapada Shirshasana. I'll I'll, I'll pick that one. And and why? Why do you like that one? uh, Because, you know, putting the leg behind the head is like, that's to me it's a, that flows a little bit more easily for me. Okay. One reason why I'm not picking a back bend. (laughs) (laughs) 
All right. What is the single best cue or piece of advice that you ever received from one of your yoga teachers? The best piece of advice. Just practice. Just practice. Yeah. All right. Don't think, just practice. Just practice. Recommend one book, either modern or ancient, for our listeners. Oh, you know, I think this is a book I always talk about to my students and um, I've quoted quite a bit. It's definitely The Untethered Soul. Michael Singer. Yeah. I mean, it's like it's sitting right here on my desk. (laughs) It's like the first book in like a stack of books that I have on my desk. and Frequently referenced. I just find this book to be just so beautiful. And I know it's, you know, very widespread, but... There's just so many gems in this book. So I definitely say that one. I echo that. Okay. Is yoga for everyone? Of course. Yes. Final question. How can our audience get in touch with you and how can we support you in your Dharma? How to get in touch with me? Well, I think the easiest way to get in touch with me is probably, you know, through Facebook or Instagram. And um, you know, supporting my Dharma, you know, I love to hear people's story and their journey in the practice. And, um, you know, I, I get, I get emails from time to time where people really share with me, like, you know, their whole process in the practice. And it's really, really touching. Sometimes I'm added to that by like pure grace, you know, for whatever reason, but, um, I always love to hear these stories. So, you know, I would, I would, Definitely love to hear more about how people have found the practice and what it means to them. And I find it, you know, very, very inspiring when people reach out to me and share their story. Beautiful. Thank you so much. Laruga, I really appreciate you taking the time on the eve of your travels. So I wish you speedy, smooth and stress-free travels and plenty of goalless meditation. Oh, thank you so much. I appreciate it. Dharma Talkers, I hope you enjoyed listening to that conversation as much as I enjoyed having it. And if you did, please share it. Take a screenshot, share it on Instagram, and tag me, at Henry Wins. I love hearing from you about the conversations that make an impact for you. We have the ability to shape the world through our thoughts, words, and conversation. So let's influence the collective consciousness together. All my gratitude to Rory Wagstaff of Ease of Mind Productions for keeping our audio crisp and operations smooth, and to Patrick Kiebzak of Momentology Music and Art for supplying the powerful soundtrack to these conversations. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review, and tune in to new episodes of Dharma Talk every Thursday. I'll speak to you next week. And until then, keep living your dharma.